standard issue for all women. Hello there, Hannah here and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops. Before I introduce our excellent guest, I've two public service announcements to make. Number one, it is Mother's Day. If you've a mother and you've forgotten, maybe press pause, go call her and I'll be waiting here when you return. If you are a mother and your kids have forgotten, well, take this as my gift to you. Number two, the clocks have gone forward. I know technology largely deals with that now, but it's worth mentioning. It's not like the old days when one Sunday a year I got to miss church because my mum always forgot. And so by the time we got there, it was over. Happy days. Talking about my relationship with Faith is actually not a bad starting point for this week's Chops, in which I chat to the actor and playwright Lalita Chakrabarti whose stage adaptation of Jan Martel's novel, The Life of Pi, is currently pulling in the crowds and snaffling all the Olivier nominations. Mickey, Sarah and I went to see it recently and I can report back that it is excellent. We talked about the highs and lows of adapting such a well-loved book, its themes of family and faith, and some of Lolita's other recent projects, including A Working Diary, the book she wrote with her husband, the actor Adrian Lester. I hope you enjoy it. Until next time. Hi, Hannah here. I am joined by actor and playwright Lalita Chakrabarti. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for asking me. Now, we went out on a standard issue work outing recently and we went to see The Life of Pi. And immediately I was like, I need to talk to her about that. I need to talk to her about that. I need to say congratulations about that. And then since we've set up this interview, you've subsequently been nominated for nine Olivier Awards. Not you personally. The Life of Pi <laughs> has been nominated for nine Olivier Awards. So double congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. How does that feel? Because awards are a bit strange, aren't they? You've got to kind of play it a bit cool, but at the same time, they are really exciting. They are. I remember seeing Bill Nye at an awards ceremony once and he won. And he, he was hilarious. He got up on stage and he said, oh, I've never set much store by awards until now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I think that sums it up, doesn't it? Because yeah. they are, they're, uh, they're the cherry on the cake, really. If you're recognised by the audiences, that's the point, actually. But if you're recognised by the award bodies, that's, um, well, it's just thrilling. Yeah. Gonna be, no. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning then. And by the beginning, I mean, back in 2001, a colleague of mine who reviews books said to me, I've been sent this book and I don't know what to make of it. She said, I need somebody else to read it and tell me what they think of it. Will you read it? And it turned out to be The Life okay. of Pi. And when I said to her, well, what, what category is it? She said, I don't even know. I don't even know where to put it. And I think she's absolutely right because it's, or she was absolutely right, because it's a drama, it's a tragedy, it's a comedy, it's, a, th- a thriller it's it's about family but at the same point it's about someone who's on their own for the for a huge part of it it's about the nature of storytelling and within that is a story about india's history when you sit down to adapt something like that does the scope of it make it easier or harder a job to do i think the one thing that you missed out from your list which was really thorough was it's about faith. Faith. I have another question about faith coming up. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think that those two elements actually, gosh, it does make it harder, but it makes it e- easier because then you understand a thread through it. 
it's about what it means to be alive. It's a sort of existential book, really, isn't it? So it is mm. all those different elements, but it's basically at the heart of it is about survival. It's about something terrible happening to somebody who's relatively happy and do they survive and how. So within all of that, I guess all those elements gave me a, a sort of embarrassment of riches to use or not. You know, there are some fabulous bits in the book that I couldn't use mm. because it didn't fit the narrative. So, it, yeah, I mean, it's great to have too much, too much material. So then you can pick and choose how you tell the story. OK, let's revisit that conversation about faith, because having read the book and seen the film, oddly, sitting in the theatre... It felt like it's felt like its natural home, strangely, because I think more than any other art form, theatre involves the audience already taking a leap of faith. You're already saying, OK, we're in a boat or, yeah. you know, it's two guys sitting on a box, but I've got to think that they're in a submarine. I think faith, yeah. the, the, the concept and I say this as someone who has no faith. I, I was raised a Catholic, but I. I no longer believe, but it, it's such an interesting topic and theatre really felt like the right place to have that conversation. It is, although faith is quite difficult to, to discuss in the theatre because you don't want to come across as either te- giving a lesson, giving a mm. sermon or making a judgment. So I had to be quite careful. I mean, what I loved about the book was the way it looked at faith through three religions, really, through uh, Muslim, Catholic and Hinduism. And very lightly, but never offensively, always with humour and affection. Uh, and so I tried to capture that on stage. But it was it was tricky because you can't go on about God for too long on stage <laughs> before we're all going, OK, when, when's the interval? Yeah, yeah. I suppose as well, there's something quite magical, isn't there? So it, cause it, so it doesn't need to be a faith in something that's a defined faith. It can just be a faith in in fate or you know an idea that that some people just survive because they just survive and 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 they had a destiny and that doesn't need to be within a a catholicism or judaism or any of the other faiths that you haven't actually mentioned there absolutely no i completely agree because actually existing requires faith it doesn't have to be religious faith but just getting through difficult times requires some kind of faith to get to the other side so it does apply to all of us yeah now talking about faith this originally opened in 2019 in The Crucible in Sheffield. I think it did a three-week run there. And then yeah. theatre endured the worst two years of its history. Yeah. How did you keep faith that this was going to happen? Were there points that you thought, this is never going to appear at the West End? It, it's Theatre's never going to get through this crisis that it's currently in. I think one of the things that was really clear through the, through the pandemic for theatre which hadn't actually been that clear to me before, was with its absence, how much we missed Mm -hmm. it and how much we wanted it. And as we were all trapped in the sort of inner world, which was the antithesis of theatre, where we weren't together and we were alone and we could leave our homes for an hour a day at the most and, you know, the fear outside... I think the value of sitting in a room together, experiencing something became extremely present. So it's a weird thing, isn't it? That actually when we're denied it and everything's falling apart and you just think how financially are these buildings and companies and individuals ever going to come out again and do this safely as well um, again? I think it sharpened the the resolve. And, and the great thing about Pi is A, it's this 
like huge title that so many people have a personal experience and relationship to that is above and beyond anything I've done. And then secondly, we had a very successful run. It was only three weeks. It was short, but my God, we packed a punch. <laughs> so I, I felt like with the tenacity of everyone involved, it took on a new meaning during the pandemic pie, actually, because it was survival. And yes, we've all tried to survive different things beforehand, but we had a collective yeah. survival uh, during COVID and ongoing. So it took on a different meaning. So I kind of, well, I had faith. I just <laughs> thought it will happen. It will happen if it's meant to happen. It will happen because yeah. it was a show that not deserved it, but I felt like it deserved to be seen. More. Yeah, I mean, it is brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Now, what I got to watch, obviously, was all of these fantastic puppets and these puppeteers doing this incredible job. When you mm. were writing it, you didn't know what that was going to look like, or did you? Did you have to write within the principle of how the hell are they going to make this work? Or did you just, again, write it and just have faith that someone somewhere would make it work? No, I, I wrote it first uh, alone. So I wrote it just me and the novel and nobody else involved at all. I find you have to have ownership of a story. And if there's too many voices involved, then you get pulled off your track. So I needed to find the story as I wanted to tell it, which is what I did. And then... As everybody joined, you know, Max Webster, the director, joined, this thing called World Puppet um, Director joined, um, and then the designer, Nick Barnes of, of, of the puppets, and Tim Hatley, our designer, all these amazing people joined to see if the script I had written could work, which it didn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so we did workshops. We did workshops with prototype puppets, and we had a very basic tiger, you know, literally a skeleton mm. of a, a, with, with a head and skilled puppeteers in the room going, well, how do we make this relationship work? One of the biggest challenges was how, on a stage, do you A, get a boat, and then B, fill it with four animals, which will all have multiple puppeteers on them, and a boy, and still make the story clear. So there was lots of negotiating and lots of minds working out the logistics of it, but the actual story I had to find the spine of, because without story, there's nothing. Yeah, it's got so many really high drama moments in it that I think the puppeteers are just, they are incredible. When, mm. I don't think this this is a spoiler because I think people know the basic gist of the story of the life of Pi. When Richard first tries to get on the boat, it is really a, <gasps> even though I knew it was coming, even though I know yeah. he gets on the boat, even with all of that stuff, it's so well done. It's really, really impressive. Yeah. Oh, good. And the puppeteers are extraordinary. I totally agree with you. They they are very present. You know they're there, but they just disappear because you end up watching a boy in a time. Yeah. Now, obviously, this originally, yeah, Martel wrote this back in 2001. We had a film directed mm -hmm. by the glorious Ang Lee. You are the first woman to get your hands on this creatively, and you are the first person, I believe, of, of Indian descent to get your hands on this creatively. So I wonder if you could tell me how you thought that you approached it differently. Your makeup informs every choice you make, right? So your background and your heritage and your influences guide you. So here's a story written by a white Canadian man who spent a lot of time in India at a particularly existential moment of his life questioning everything and came back with this story and these experiences that then is translated by a British South Asian woman I mean I don't know how you kind of <laughs> add that up to anything really 
I guess I, I, I have, uh, yeah, I put my cultural experiences well inside. I knew what I was looking at. I knew where I wanted to focus. The book has um, a, a section that is dedicated to the grown-up pie, talking to a journalist, which is what the mm. film focused on. Um, but I was really clear that I wanted the Japanese uh, shipping officials who are this kind of, who are those characters in Tintin? You know, the two men who look the same. Oh, the Thompson the twins. Yeah, they were yeah. so they reminded me of them. And I loved that idea of these two sort of officials, these people coming from far away to, to question this boy from far mm. away in a place that neither of them are comfortable in. And so I've, I sort of chose the focus of where I wanted the story to be. Yeah. You, you have changed a few of the characters from male to female. Yeah. Can, can you tell me the thinking behind that? Other than to get more women on stage, which I absolutely applaud. Yeah. Because I want the female point of view on mm. stage and because I think a lot of things that have been awarded and, you know, focused on have been written by men with a male point of view and women are not always important in that storytelling. Mm. And obviously in my storytelling, women are extremely important. So it's not just a, a, a gender parity thing at all. It's perspective. So those two Japanese shipping officials who are men in the book, one a senior man, Mr. Okamoto, and his junior. I changed the junior to a woman and gave her a different function because on stage, two men from the same place would be amusing, but it wouldn't fulfil what you could do with theatre. Yeah. I've made her a Canadian... East Asian diplomat in Mexico. And uh, then it gives you a really lovely playoff between the older Mr. Okamoto from Japan and this younger sort of hot diplomatic woman, hot in terms of professionally yeah. hot, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, who's ri a rising star, maybe that's yeah. a better phrase. Um, and their play while they interview Pi. So I think it adds, it adds complexity and texture and flavour and gender politics yeah. uh, and so I like I really like that and that I can do that I have the power to do that now in doing that you have also made one of the most diverse casts on at the West End at the moment although I do know that Seacole is opening at the the Dommar soon and that also has an incredibly diverse cast but nonetheless, it's still too early to be ringing the bell that says theatre's diversity problem is fixed, I'm guessing. I think it's changed exponentially in the last couple of years. I think us being locked away in our little cubicles over COVID uh, and just previous to that, people have gone, oh, my God, this is just uh, wrong. Mm. So I think many, many more doors have been opened uh, and need to stay open. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely changing and people are definitely um, aware of it. Yeah. Whenever I see, you know, new plays by women and I think, you know, hooray, it's happening. And then I'll speak to someone in the industry and they're like, it's not really happening. <laughs> it's, there are still, there is still more work to be done. There's a long way to catch up, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of years to catch up on and you can't do it in a five year period. But the fact that it's leapt quite so dramatically uh, we just need to make sure it continues. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other really interesting thing within the life of Pi, it's it set during the state of emergency mm. brought in by Indira Gandhi. And that is a part of history that I would say, for the most part, this, this country knows absolutely nothing about. I mean, I may be wrong, but given that I am a bit of a history nerd, 
I would say I, I couldn't give you more than a couple of sentences on what happened during that time. So I think it's really important. I'm hoping that more sort of history that's not, well, I mean, Mary Seacole would be another great example of that, that's not just British history, although arguably what happened in India is British history. Yeah, I think it all crosses over, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, the, the first play I wrote, Red Velvet, was a historical drama. And um, it's about perspective and where you where you point the camera, even though it's staged. Yeah. But, you know, where you're looking and who you're looking through in order to see the, the, the story. I, I agree. There's so many stories that haven't had uh, the, the light of day shone on them. But hopefully with the things that are changing and people being aware that, although well, Eurocentric idea of history isn't always isn't 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 right, yeah. actually. It's about everybody. Yeah. Uh, and you want and all the different perspectives in that same way as adding women into the story just makes it richer. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because the point of loving history or loving stories is to hear something you've never heard before. I mean, that yeah. is the joy of it. I don't need to yeah. see a, another play about the Tudors or, you know, read another book about the Tudors. I'm, I'm done with the Tudors. I've, I mean, I could probably write a biography myself from all of the stuff that's come in. So, yes, I want new stories. If you looked at the Tudors through the eyes of uh, a black lady in oh, Oasis. well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. You see what I mean? You can reinvent. Mm. It's just where do you point the camera and how are you looking at it? Or if you're looking at a woman who is, I don't know, poor, and 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 part becomes part of the Tudor household. You know, if you if, uh, different perspectives. We've been fed one perspective through a lot of stories, and I think they're all waiting to be reinvented actually and looked at in a different way because they're great stories. Now during lockdown, you did some work with the Almeida, which is my favourite theatre in London. You put on a play, The Hymn. Yeah. which starred your husband and, oh man, I should have written this down. Who's the other actor? In Danny. That? That's right. And uh, it was put on, you know, on the sort of on the service so people could watch it, which I was really hoping as a principle might continue to exist beyond lockdown because it made theatre something that was accessible to people who perhaps by cause of geography or, you know, perhaps disability yeah. or whatever reasons couldn't actually go to theatre that play you you've written it about two men how mm. did you get on with writing male characters I mean I know you can write all characters but but that dynamic it was about a dynamic between two men really when other people aren't around so I wondered how you'd got that sort of that view on it I really enjoyed it because you know it's about stepping out of your own self yeah. and writing other people and it's uh you know it's yeah just to sort of put my version of men on a page was really interesting. But it was great when uh, we did a read-through, we did a workshop with Adrian and Danny, and um, they said, you know, we're playing 50-year-old men here, and they sound quite young. You've not really given them the the weight and the, the kind of, um, what is it? I, I thought it was the confidence, actually, of sitting back and, checking each other out and just not moving forward. I, I guess I'm always very, oh, hello. you know, I'm quite forward yeah. and interested and curious and all of those things. And, and and they were just like, no, you'd be much more circumspect and just waiting. So that was interesting to to put that element through. And they were completely right. I mean, they did. They, they read like 25-year-old 
so that was interesting but I thought I really enjoyed it I really liked writing the Melbourne it was great that you are, I mean I said at the top you are originally an actor yourself and you do still mm. act in fact the last time I can remember seeing you was you were in Vigil uh, back back last summer which I might get back to did being an actor help or does being an actor help with writing because I'm guessing you're both sort of watchers of people watchers would be a good word or sort of magpies that collection of like ticks and that you see people have and you think I'm going to store that somewhere and use it completely my god completely I I write completely as an actor because I uh, I feel my way through the characters and actually I've played a lot of things and a lot of roles I've played haven't been that great in the writing and then what you have to solve as an actor is well how do I get from this line to the next believe in mm. me I need to have it so that you don't look stiff and that you've got a, a flow and so I'm really aware as a writer that actually the the thought between the lines is maybe more important than the line itself but there has to be a, a a thought that takes you from one line to the next and I'm really aware of that so I sit in my office and I act out all the parts and I hear the voices and yeah people watching definitely and how people feel in certain situations you're constantly examining that yeah do you think it makes you less precious about your writing as well in that you'd be more sort of willing to, if an actor came to you and said, do you know what, I think I could do this, would you be more willing to take that on board? Does it work like that? Yeah, I always, I always listen to the actors, always. I mean, I, I, it's not, I'm not a pushover, though. They have to convince me that they have a point. Mm. Uh, and if they can't, then I'll convince them that I have a point. And then between that, we'll, we'll, re- we'll reach an understanding. But, I mean, I rewrite throughout everything, which I think a lot of writers do, you know, through rehearsals. But if actors come to me and go, what about this? What about that? This doesn't feel right. Sometimes their solution is wrong, but their feeling is right. And why are they feeling uncomfortable? And maybe the thought isn't right or there's something better. So I I do change it a lot, yeah, because I really respect what actors have to give in the room. Yeah. Now, going back to Vigil, you were on telly. You didn't actually have to go into that. Um, submarine set did you you were mostly on on mostly on land how do you think I know it wasn't a real submarine but it looked it looked awful it looked so claustrophobic I did how do you think you would have coped with that well I heard from uh other people saying on a submarine to even real submarines are more closed than that I mean tighter you know obviously they left space in the studio for cameras cameras, and all of that yeah yeah, it looked brilliant. They did such a good job of it. I mean, it's so funny on telly, isn't it? You're in these things and then you don't really meet the other team. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you do you do one part of your story and they do their part. And then when you put it together, it goes, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. it's all going. Although you were with the excellent Stephen Delane. You did get to be on land with him, uh, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that was great. He's fabulous. What a good actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely terrific. That's an understatement. He's a superb actor. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it was it was it was nice when you met people and you go, oh, you're on the submarine. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming back, yeah. isn't it? Did I read it was coming back for a second series? Yeah, I heard they're making a second series. That's what I heard. Yeah. yeah. And your husband recently blown to smithereens. The last time I saw him, oh, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> blown to smithereens. Just his, all all that was left was his hand. I was worried for a moment, but then he came home. So it's okay. <laughs> Can I ask you what's next? Are you in a position to talk about what you've got coming up? God, you know, I'm not really. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? I'm writing a load of things, um, but none of them are, are are announced yet. So you have to kind of keep them quiet. And acting, I'm auditioning. So acting, I've got nothing to report. Right. Um, but what can I, can I tell you what I'm doing? I'm writing 
lots of plays. It's it's theatre um, still, yeah. I am. I'm writing plays. I've got a couple of films that are being uh, developed and almost produced, but nothing definite. You know, this endless plate spinning of what will land next. Life of Pi continues in the West yeah. End, which is great, and is booking till September. And then, um, do you think it's just going to run and run? Oh, I can only hope. I don't know. We'll see. We've got plans. We're hatching plans for other other places and things like yeah. that. But uh, I can't say it's the thing. Yeah. Having one arm tied behind your back. No, no, no. That's that's absolutely fine. <laughs> that happens all the time um, when people can't say things, and uh, especially if it's uh, there's a number of occasions in which people will say to me afterwards, do you know if. If, if this interview was going on two weeks later, I'd have had great news for you. So, <laughs> but in that case, I should just keep my eye out for them. Um, you've also got a book, haven't you, that you wrote with, with Adrian about... Adrian, yeah. yeah, it was a diary. It was a, a working diary um, and it covered a year of our lives. Um, and we just wrote down all our work over, I think it was 2018 to 2019. So it was when I was... Uh, I was doing lots of acting jobs, developing lots of writing, and I was making Invisible Cities, which we did at Manchester International Festival and Life of the Maya Sheffield. And then Adrian was doing, um, God, Adrian was doing loads of things. He was doing TV series and show at the Albert Hall and all sorts of things. So, yeah, it just covered our daily existence and shows you how much, uh, no pun intended, you have to hustle in order yeah. to kind of... Um, you know, sustain yourself yeah. in this industry. Yeah, yeah, it's such a, it's such a sort of um, an interesting um, way to live. I, I mean, I, w- the closest comparison I have was when I was a freelance journalist, and it was exhausting. It was absolutely yeah. exhausting to get yeah. up and keep selling yourself every single day, and also yeah. to uh, to live with the insecurity of, you know, Knowing whether or not, well, you know all of this. I don't know why I'm telling you. People should read your book and you, you'll be able to find out. Thank you so much for your time. This has been oh, really interesting. And I would advise that everybody gets to see, goes out to see The Life of Pi because I think I think it's quite the, despite what I was saying about the drama and the sort of the anxiousness, I think it is, I think it's a good sort of family. I mean, I wouldn't say young kids because they might be a, a little scared of it, but I think it's, it's certainly something that you could take. I could take a fifteen-year-old and an eighty-year-old with me quite happily, and they'd both get something from it. Yeah, I think the age uh, sort of guidance is ten up. But if you've got an eight-year-old who feels brave, there's nothing gory, but the intention of the story is quite um, gory sometimes. Yeah. So there's, yeah, it's the it's the sort of dealing with death and destruction that could be a bit distressing if you're too young. Yeah. But no, we have we do we have uh, really wide-ranging ages coming to see it which is great yeah thank you again this has been absolutely brilliant oh thank you too standard issue for all women